This is why diet frameworks like the carnivore diet and the animal-based diet, I know people bag on the animal-based diet, the carnivore community, but in this sense, you know, they're re removing pretty much all the same toxins. Maybe there's a tiny little bit in fruit, but not a major amount. This is why they work and they're so effective at curing gut issues, including, of course, leaky gut syndrome. Hi guys, and welcome to another episode of the Meat Medic Podcast. Now, today's episode, we are discussing leaky gut syndrome. What is it? How do you get it? And more importantly, how do you get rid of it? How do you cure it? How do you fix it? So what is leaky gut syndrome? Well, leaky gut syndrome is also known as intestinal hyperpermeability, and it's a condition where the, the lining of the intestines become essentially leaky, hence the name, and allowing, thus allowing bacteria and other toxins to leak from the gut, from the intestine, into the body, into the bloodstream. Now, this can lead to a whole wide range of symptoms, including digestive problems, fatigue, joint pain, skin problems, mental health issues, cardiac issues, nerve problems. I mean, you, you name it, it can cause it. Now, what actually happens in leaky gut syndrome? I'm going to show you a picture here on my screen share. So this is from, again, all the, all the references goes in the episode description. If you're watching on YouTube, hello, thank you for watching. If you're listening in the car, you can't look at this. But again, I'll put the links in the description for the episode so you can check it out. Now, normally, this is kind of the anatomy of the mucosal barrier. We've got some histology pieces here. Now, if you're anything like me, like histology... <laughs> It's a little bit over your head. Uh, what we've got here essentially is very, very tight, you know, kind of cell junctions. Uh, let's go a little bit further down to kind of just this like 2D graphical kind of representation. I think it's a re reasonable graphical representation. Normally, the lining of the intestines is kind of this very, you know, kind of tight barrier here. Just bring it up slightly bigger. I don't really do terribly much there. Uh, this nice kind of fairly tight barrier. And normally things which we don't want to absorb can't actually come through. Now we have other defensive mechanisms like the glycobiome, which kind of sits on top of these cells. We have the microbiome, of course, all the other good, good bacteria that are good and good. I'm going to get this so mixed up. Good gut, tongue twister, bacteria that are helping to defend us and kill off all the bad stuff as well. Now normally these kind of act like basically an airlock. Uh, again, if you're watching on YouTube, might make it make it more straightforward. Um, you know, what we've got here is essentially an airlock. So something like, say, iron, you know, comes along and we want to absorb the iron. Comes along, hits a receptor, and the receptor says, you know what, I want you, my body wants you. Let's open up, allow you to come through, close behind you, and then on the other side of the cell, we'll open up and we'll allow you to go through like an airlock. And that's how things are generally absorbed in the gut. Now, other things are just kind of, they, they do come through these cell junctions. Some things will come through passively, but most things, let's imagine they come through like an airlock. And it's a way of controlling what comes into the body because we don't want all the nasties. We don't want the toxins, the heavy metals, and all the other problems. We want the good things. We want the good bacteria. We want the good iron and the minerals and the calcium and the magnesium and all those other good things. What we don't want is toxins. Now, what happens when we get leaky gut syndrome? Now, normally this very tight cell junction, again, if you're listening in the car, you have to just take my word for it, but we have this nice tight cell junctions. What happens in leaky gut syndrome is essentially it just becomes leaky and 
it's nice and tight and straight. And then what happens is it kind of separates a little bit. Now, if you imagine, obviously the cell's not just falling apart, but imagine, you know, it's a 3D structure essentially, but nice and tight junction. It kind of just separates a little bit. And what happens is it allows that, you know, whatever it is, toxin, anything to basically leak through and then come through what usually should be a nice tight cell junction kind of just creates this space and allows the toxins to actually pass through. Now this can happen for multiple reasons, but the main mechanism really here is actually inflammation. Inflammation causing the swelling to happen, causing the leaky gut syndrome. Even things which are meant to reduce inflammation can still cause leaky gut syndrome. A good example here is actually uh, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories. They can cause leaky gut syndrome. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. Foods can also cause leaky gut syndrome as well. Again, more on that later. But things which are meant to be anti-inflammatory, like turmeric, for example, can also cause leaky gut because of the anti-nutrient content. So how do you know if you have leaky gut syndrome? What are the symptoms of it? And are there, are there any tests that you can do? Well, let's talk a little bit about the symptoms of leaky gut syndrome. And I'm going to bring up an article here from the Cleveland Clinic. So leaky gut syndrome is a hypothetical condition. I mean, I'm not sure I'd agree with that. I think it's actually genuine medical condition. Not currently recognized as a medical condition. I think I would disagree with that. What is it? Okay, it's intestinal permeability. We've spoken a little bit about that. Let's find a bit on the symptoms. Okay, symptoms. What are the main causes? We spoke about chronic inflammation, chemotherapy, chronic overuse of alcohol or NSAIDs, of course. But what are the symptoms? Let's go to that. So there are no symptoms associated directly with intestinal permeability. Yes, I would agree with that in the sense that having a leaky gut in and of itself is not going to cause you likely any real problems. It's what you then are absorbing because of the leaky gut that actually then causes you problems. Uh, intestinal permeability usually follows from injury to your intestinal lining and you may have symptoms from that. I think that's kind of what it's saying is like, well, if you've got, you know, intestinal permeability or leaky gut because of Crohn's, that the Crohn's or the colitis is causing you the problem, not the leaky gut. I would entirely actually disagree with that. But let's go back to the symptoms. A burning feeling of ulceration in your gut, painful indigestion from the loss of intestinal mucosa, diarrhea, gas and bloating, low energy, gastrointestinal mucositis from radiation therapy. This is actually not, not a very good article. Maybe I should not have pulled this one up. Uh, I mean, basically, symptoms of leaky gut syndrome, I mean, obviously, like GI issues, uh, they're going to be pretty high on the list here, like just, you know, bloating, abdominal cramps, diarrhea, vomiting, nausea, constipation can also be a cause, uh, loose stools, mucus in the bowels, mucus in the stools, you know, rectal bleeding possibly as well. Gut issues are going to be pretty high on the list. I think that's probably fairly straightforward, but other non-gut issues as well. So things like skin problems like eczema, acne, mental health conditions, uh, depression, anxiety, joint pain, autoimmune conditions like rheumatoid arthritis, you know, allergies, big, big allergies, especially food allergies and food sensitivities. Now that is not because you are, unlike, you know, the, the Cleveland Clinic, you know, kind of article says here that it's because you've your, if your gut issue, that's not what's causing the problem. It's the toxins that you are absorbing. And uh, I've done episodes before on things like oxalates. The problem is when you get these leaky gut syndrome, you get a much bigger potential absorption of a lot of these toxins like oxalates, 
which can cause real, real problems. And when people eliminate oxalates from their diet, things like asthma, eczema, hay fever, all these are kind of atopic things just kind of disappear. Um, acne, what um, you know, constipation, gut issues, mental health can improve. I mean, potentially ADHD, um, you know, potentially autism might improve. I spoke about this on the oxalates episode. Make sure you check that one out. I think it's episode 56 off the top of my head. Um, these can all be because of toxins that we are absorbing from the food, let alone things like heavy metals. My God, if you people are eating kale, please stop eating kale. But it's full of heavy metals. Now, again, I spoke about heavy metals on the a previous episode on insects and bug protein. Make sure you check that one out if you haven't listened to that one. Um, okay, symptoms of leaky gut. We spoke a little bit about that, but what actually causes leaky gut syndrome? Well, again, if we go back to this Cleveland Clinic article, it's not the best, but it does speak a little bit about it here. So chronic inflammatory states, I mentioned inflammation, such as IBD, that's inflammatory bowel disease, not to be confused with irritable bowel syndrome. Sometimes that's referred to as irritable bowel disease, which is a bit confusing because that's kind of a mix between the two of them. Uh, celiac disease, of course, that could cause leaky gut. Other diseases that cause any kind of intestinal injury uh, could also be an issue. Mentions HIV AIDS here. Chemotherapy, radiation therapy, chronic overuse of alcohol, anti non and steroidal anti-inflammatories such as aspirin and ibuprofen can also cause problems. Look, a single, you know, one-off dose of aspirin or ibuprofen is not likely to cause any massive problems, but chronic use might cause issues. And of course, food allergies or food sensitivities can also be an issue. Other things though that might cause problems. So processed food. So I'm just going to bring you up something here. And this is an article. Again, I'll put a link in the description. Old fashioned versus ultra processed based current diets, possible implication in the increased susceptibility to type 1 diabetes and celiac disease in childhood. Now, not specifically talking really about leaky gut in entirety, but I wanted to highlight this point here. The rationale is that the nutritional composition of ultra-processed foodstuffs can induce gut dysbiosis, promoting a pro-inflammatory response and consequently a quote-unquote leaky gut. These factors have been associated with increased risk of autoimmunity in genetically predisposed children. Again, another article here, food processing gut microbiota and the globesity problem. Again, talking about leaky gut syndrome, from processed food. Effects of ultra-processed foods on the microbiota gut-brain axis, colon, the bread and butter issue. So that's a colon punctuation mark, not in the colon. I'm just reading the title of the article. Again, all the articles I will be putting on the uh, in the episode description. So other things that can cause leaky gut syndrome, we spoke about non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, um, highly processed food, sugar-sweetened beverages, artificial sweeteners, things like mannitol, erythritol, uh, sorbitol, sucralose, these kinds of things can cause real problems with our gut microbiome and potentially causing or contributing to leaky gut syndrome. Heavy metals themselves and, you know, of course, plant toxins and anti-nutrients like oxalates, phytates, gluten. Uh, we mentioned, of course, celiac disease as well. Now, I've spoken at length on oxalates. Definitely check out that episode, episode 56, Are Oxalates Destroying Your Health? Of course, we mentioned other medical conditions like inflammatory bowel disease, Crohn's disease, and colitis. So where do you go from here? You think you have leaky gut syndrome, but how is it actually diagnosed? 
Well, again, I've got an article. So techniques of functional and no, motility test, rather, how to perform and interpret intestinal permeability. So unfortunately, there's no one way to diagnose leaky gut syndrome. There's no blood test that you can do that says you have leaky gut syndrome. That would be nice if there was, of course, but there isn't. There isn't a stool test that says you have leaky gut syndrome. But there are some tests that can be very useful. Now, the first is pretty obvious, but unfortunately very often overlooked, at least in the patients that I end up consulting. And very often people are going straight to, you know, these kind of complicated intestinal permeability tests, going to, you know, advanced microbiome mapping that costs hundreds, if not thousands of dollars. And what they're forgetting to do you know, the patient's coming into me or they've been referred by their usual doctor or the doctor just, you know, they see they just haven't done this, is a really simple stool test, basic stool test. If you're in, if you're in Australia, Medicare will pay for this. Very simple feces, OCP, MCS, OCP, ask your doctor for that test. Very, very simple, straightforward stool test. We're checking for very obviously pathogenic bacteria, food poisoning, and parasites like Blastocystis hominis and Diantamoeba fragilis. Uh, these are pretty common here in Australia, actually, and they're usually from tank water, but you know anyone can pick it up. I'm not sure about the rest of the world, but they're pretty easy to check for. The next thing is to check for other obvious issues before we're going to, you know, all these kind of complicated testing and so on, is basically just do x-rays. You know, x-rays to check for fecal loading. It's a very straightforward, easy thing to be doing. And I'm just going to bring up some images now, just Googling, you know, x-ray fecal loading. Uh, these are the kind of things that you might see. And generally speaking, I mean, this is, this is you know, these are kind of quite good pictures here. You kind of just get these, like, you can see the bowel gas. It's a bit, it's a bit distended. You can see all this kind of just like fluffiness. Like this is all basically just poo. This is, again, just all full of poo, basically, you know, all just kind of full of poo, just all this kind of cloudiness, all this fluffiness in the abdominal x-ray is fecal loading and very, very, very easy test to do. You know, the, the, the radiation dose of an abdominal x-ray is like literally almost nothing. And it's such an easy, simple test to do. And it's one that I just see doctors just not even bothering with. I really don't understand it. It's kind of just crazy how many times I see people with gut issues ongoing for years and they haven't even had a stool test or an abdominal x-ray. It's absolutely insane. A lot of people I see, they probably have leaky gut or they have probably more like just some sort of functional gastrointestinal disorder, quote unquote, this FGID. It's just amazing how many times they haven't even had a simple investigation. Now, obviously, if you have serious issues, what we call red flags, so things like rectal bleeding, you know, weight loss, loss of appetite, alternating bowel habits. This is ongoing a long time. At some point, you need some further detailed investigation, things like a CT scan, CT colonogram, fecal occult blood testing, and of course, things like colonoscopies and endoscopies to actually look for more serious conditions like things like cancer. So you definitely need to go and see your doctor if you are having issues with your gut, but otherwise generally for suspecting leaky gut syndrome, they're generally not needed. Once obvious things have been ruled out, things like abdominal x-ray for fecal loading, and of course, if you, if you find fecal loading, treat the fecal loading. 
do not use fiber <laughs> to treat fecal loading. I'm going to do an episode all about fiber later on, but do not use fiber to treat fecal loading. It is not going to work. It's going to make you worse. The patient will be very, very unhappy. You will be unhappy as a doctor because you, you couldn't treat the patient. The patient's probably going to complain. Nobody is happy about it. Use laxatives, stool softeners to treat fecal loading. Generally, I'm not a fan of stimulant laxatives when you've got fecal loading because it's kind of just like pushing out rocks. It's not very nice for the patient. Again, use laxatives and stool softeners. Do not use fiber. Treat what you can obviously treat. Find what you can obviously find. If you're not finding anything and you're still thinking about leaky gut syndrome, then we get to doing other testing. So Techniques and functional and mobility of functional, sorry, and motility test. How to perform and interpret intestinal permeability. Now, this is you know a bit of a long article and it's a little bit technical, talking about lactulose and mannitol ratios and so on. The long and the short of it is this little paragraph here. Okay, so intestinal permeability. I'm just reading from the article now. Intestinal permeability is measured with the help of non non-metabolizable probe, either by human gut or even by the bacteria present in the gut. Molecules which pass across the mucosal barrier and are excreted in the urine after being absorbed into the systemic circulation. Okay, now what does that mean in plain English? A little bit technical. Well, they give you something to consume, let's call it consume, and then you swallow it down, it goes into the gut, and then it's meant to not actually be absorbed. If you don't have leaky gut syndrome, it shouldn't actually really be absorbed. It should just kind of pass through. You know, think about a piece of corn just <laughs> going through, comes out the other end intact. That's kind of what should happen. If you have leaky gut, what's going to happen is that's going to break down and it's going to be absorbed into the body, into the bloodstream. Now, it's not a dangerous thing. We're not giving you radioactive, you know, isotopes or anything like that. But it's something that they can then track in the urine. And you absorb this then through your leaky gut when you normally shouldn't. And then it goes through the blood, it goes through the kidneys, gets filtered out into the urine, and then they can check it in the urine. Now, that sounds fairly straightforward, and you'd be forgiven for thinking, well, this is a diagnostic test, surely, because if I don't have leaky gut, well, it's not going to come out. It's not going to come out of the urine. Yeah, you would think that, but it's actually not 100% accurate, and it's still not perfect. It's pretty good, but it's not perfect. If it's in the urine in high quantities, you're very likely to have leaky gut syndrome. If it's there in a little bit, it's kind of hard to know because as much as things shouldn't always be absorbed, things can still kind of just a little bit be absorbed. Other tests that can be useful include things like uh, SIBO testing, which is uh, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. Um, I'm going to do an upcoming episode on that specifically, so make sure you guys subscribe for that one. Uh, and then following on from that, if you're really not getting anywhere or you've done things like leaky gut syndrome testing um, or otherwise, you may want to get things like a complete microbiome mapping. Now, here in Australia, I use a company called Nutripath. They've been very, very good for me. Um, it costs around $450 roughly to get a full complete microbiome mapping. That's Australian dollars, $450 Australian dollars here in Australia. Um, any doctor can refer you for this through something like Nutripath. You can't self-refer to Nutripath. Any health practitioner, I've seen even naturopaths, you know, and other people who are not registered doctors using Nutripath. Um, you have to be some sort of, I think, health practitioner. Um, it's about $450, including the antibiotic sensitivities. And what it will tell you, again, I'm going to do another episode on this down the line, but it basically tells you 
how much, if anything, you've got, you know, in terms of overgrowth of, of bacteria. I'm actually just going to see if I can bring it up uh, here for a complete microbiome mapping, show you a, you know, a sample report actually while we're talking about it. Slightly off topic, but I think it might be, might be kind of useful here. So this is the uh, a thing from Nutripath here. This is a company that I use. This is just a sample report. This is not a known patient. This is obviously, you can just see here, you know, UR number, et cetera. Doctor test, doctor test health center. This is not a real patient, test patient. Okay. So this just gives you an idea of what you actually get when you do a microbiome mapping. So things like cow protecting, pancreatic elastase, all these, these GIT functional markers, that's kind of, you know, gastrointestinal tract functional markers. Very, very useful for people. Uh, again, can't really tell you whether you've got leaky gut syndrome, but can indicate that something is going on. And they usually will tell you what parasites and worms you've got, any obvious kind of pathogenic bacteria, viruses, fungi, yeasts, etc. And then you get down into things like then parasites and worms, uh, opogenistic bacterial overgrowth, uh, fungi, yeast, etc., etc., etc. And this is kind of like your bacterial pathogens. This is the main one that we want to be concerned with. Uh, what happens then? It basically tells you. It's very, very good. Nutripath are very, very good. They give you all of this. It's not an ad for Nutripath, but if you want to sponsor the show, get in touch. Let me know. Um, probably a bit, you know, too much there. But um, complete microbiome mapping can be very, very useful if uh, if we're not really getting anywhere. So. If we've kind of diagnosed leaky gut syndrome or we really think, okay, this is very, very, very likely to be leaky gut syndrome, what do we do next? The next step, of course, is treating it, getting rid of it, hopefully curing it. How do we do this? Well, the first step is actually kind of simple, really. It's, uh, it's actually just stop the offending problem. Uh, again, if we go back to this Cleveland clinic article it's not the best article but it's decent enough i suppose what is the fastest way to heal leaky gut and it says the only known cure for a leaky gut is to treat the underlying condition that causes it i mean yeah, pretty freaking straightforward really find what's causing the problem and stop it very straightforward however how do you know what's causing it that's the problem you can't always stop it either so if you've had, say, radiotherapy or chemotherapy, well, you know, I'm not suggesting anyone just stops radiotherapy or chemotherapy. God, no, please do not do that. This is not direct medical advice. Do not just stop chemotherapy or radiotherapy for cancer. Please do not do that. So how do you know what's causing it? And can you even stop it? Well, we mentioned things like anti-inflammatories. You can certainly stop those. Highly processed food, you can definitely stop those. Refined sugars, you can certainly stop those. Sweeteners, other toxins, including those plant toxins, again, oxalates my god oxalates bane of my life <laughs> talking to everybody about oxalates this is why diet frameworks like the carnivore diet and the animal-based diet i know people bag on the animal-based diet carnivore community but in this sense you know they're re removing pretty much all the same toxins maybe there's a tiny little bit in fruit but not a major amount this is why they work and they're so effective at curing gut issues including of course leaky gut syndrome they're also very good, in my experience, of treating functional gastrointestinal disorders, or FGID, but that is a topic for another podcast. Standard advice, ugh, standard advice, oh God, I suppose I've got to talk about it. Standard advice includes eating a diet rich in fiber, quote unquote, but I personally disagree with this. Fiber is thought to be useful because it provides food for gut bacteria. 
And again, if we go back to the Cleveland Clinic article, we're talking about probiotics and prebiotics. We'll come back to that in a moment. Um, fiber is thought to feed the good gut bacteria. The problem is, there's this kind of erroneous assumption that it only feeds good bacteria, that it doesn't feed bad bacteria. But that's actually not true. It kind of feeds all bacteria, good and bad. And so if you've already got a dysbiosis, if you've already got an abnormal gut microbiome, feeding that microbiome in entirety is probably not going to make it any better. And in fact, might make it potentially worse. Most of the time, when you remove or reduce fiber in the diet, the vast majority of GI symptoms actually get better, which again is really interesting. I'm going to do a whole other episode on fiber because there's a lot to talk about there. Uh, further kind of general advice is to ideally reduce and stop processed food. Again, I, would, I would agree entirely with that statement. Processed food is terrible for our health in pretty much every single way, but particularly for our gut. Processed food can cause leaky gut in other, other ways, as we mentioned as well. Uh, number one, processed food can directly cause inflammation. Now, processed foods tend to cause high amounts of, uh, contain, sorry, high amounts of things like seed oils, like canola oil, vegetable oil, sunflower oil. And these oils have been repeatedly shown to be inflammatory. These also contain other directly inflammatory substances like cornstarch, which usually accompanies things like high fructose corn syrup. Again, it's actually estimated, again, I digress slightly, but it's an interesting factoid, uh, around about four times the amount of calories that are actually listed on a can of Coke. It's actually in that contained as cornstarch, which isn't actually on the label. So those Cokes are not great for you. Please don't sue me, Coca-Cola company. Uh, number two, artificial sweeteners having a dysbiotic effect. Again, we spoke about this a little bit earlier. Share the screen here. So gut microbiota, an important link between Western diet and chronic diseases. Again, I'll put links for all of this in the description. Food processing, gut microbiota, and the globesity problem. Effects of ultra-processed food on the micro gut microbiota gut-brain axis, the bread and butter issue. So processed food can be very bad for us in a number of ways. Number three, you know, sweeteners have been shown to be directly problematic to the gut microbiome and the intestinal wall. Consumption of sweeteners such as saccharin, sucralose, stevia cause problems. This is likely to have an adverse effect and likely to cause leaky gut syndrome. Uh, number four, processed food tends to be full of other toxins and nondescript chemical garbage. That's probably just the best way of putting it. I'm not sure I need to explain that point anymore. I think we probably all know that processed food is really not good for us and generally full of garbage chemicals. It's fairly straightforward and pretty obvious. Now, the next way to treat leaky gut syndrome is actually to reduce stress. There's many studies showing stress affects the gut, but even outside of this, all you have to do is ask anyone with stress and they're going to tell you that this stress causes them uh, problems, basically. It's, it's really not that straight. It's really not that complicated. Very, very straightforward. All you need to do is ask someone with stress if they have gut issues or gut issues if they have stress and they're almost guaranteed to say yes. Stress contributes to the gut dysbiosis, contributes to chronic inflammation, which also then causes leaky gut syndrome. Sleep, more specifically lack of sleep, also tends to go hand in hand with stress. 
and that's the next point to fix. Now, I'm not aware of any specific guidance on exactly how much sleep or quality sleep we need to prevent or fix leaky gut syndrome. I'm not sure there's any evidence to support that specifically, but given this point is tied to stress, general advice that most people will give and I give my patients is that adult patients should aim for about eight to nine hours a night of quality sleep. I strongly recommend the use of reliable sleep trackers to track your sleep. And I really can't speak to most on the market as I haven't tried them, but my Apple Watch, got one over here, my Apple Watch is pretty darn accurate, I think. It certainly shows vast improvements in my deep sleep cycles when I tape my mouth overnight, which I think I've spoken about before. And that corresponds to me feeling like I had much improved sleep. Let me know in the comments, actually, if I if you want to hear me talk more about mouth taping, really important. Other options, of course, you know, Fitbits, Aura Rings, all these kinds of things, but I haven't tried those, so I can't really speak to those. The last recommendation is to consider taking probiotics uh, or prebiotics. So probiotics, prebiotics, and then basically, you know, fiber and so on as well. So what are probiotics and prebiotics? Probiotics are live bacterial cultures. So, you know, like your, your Yakult, your Danon, you know, all this kind of stuff, your kefir, things like that. These are live bacterial cultures that are there to try and repopulate the gut when you've lost your good bacteria. Prebiotics are foods like non-digestible fiber that supposedly promote healthy bacteria. Now, I'm not really a huge fan of either of those, mostly because most probiotics, like commercial probiotics on the market, are very limited and they're kind of almost next to useless because once you've got a really bad dysbiosis, just kind of giving yourself more bacteria doesn't actually really resolve that much because you're so dysbiotic, it's just it's just impossible to fix just with probiotics. And I'm not a fan of digestible fiber either, non-digestible fiber, sorry. I do, however, drink raw cow's milk. I usually have a glass with me. I've actually drank it and put it put it away, uh, which of course is, is massively probiotic. It's full of live cultures. Now, I strongly recommend consuming raw milk for a whole heap of reasons, but make sure that you check your local laws first. Here in Queensland, it is illegal for human consumption to buy, as far as I'm aware, not illegal to talk about, consuming it it's legal to buy it for human consumption check with your local laws and of course it's unpasteurized so it could potentially contain toxins and bacteria including food poisoning and other bacteria as well so consume with caution and at your own risk hopefully following all this advice now you've learned how to both kind of prevent and treat leaky gut syndrome Although I think the advice that I presented you today is pretty applicable to pretty much almost any gastrointestinal issue that you might be dealing with. Obviously, if you're not getting anywhere or you have issues, go see your doctor. Australian patients, if Australian people, sorry, if you are struggling to get your doctor to understand, take you seriously, or you just need a change, you're welcome to consult with me. Get in touch, mail at themeatmedic.com or on YouTube or uh, at the Meat Medic uh, on social media. Let me know if you've had leaky gut syndrome, what's your experience been and how you've healed it, hopefully. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Remember, I also have health courses available on themeatmedic.com with video courses coming very, very soon. Thank you for tuning into this episode and always a like, comment and share and subscribe would be appreciated. Thank you guys and I'll see you in the next episode.